Is your debt causing you sleepless nights? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. And your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt. Mike, could you see yourself fighting a younger man down the down the road since you've gotten your body back and your skills have come back? Could you see yourself fighting a, a, a current day heavyweight and trying hey, listen, to push um, the heavyweight title? Listen, I'm very interested. If, if doing that means that we can have bigger charity exponents, well be it. I'm down to do that too. Because it's all being done out of an um, exponent of charity. And if they're down to do that, I'm with it too. It's, listen, it's, it's entertainment. It's just for charity. It's for a good cause, but we're giving our best. I have a feeling you're going to get a call from somebody who says, hey, Mike, I'll put TNA there against Anthony Joshua, and we'll donate a lot of money to charity. I, I have a feeling you might get a call like that. I would love to do that. That would be um, mind-blowing. Is your debt causing you sleepless nights? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. And your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt. Subscribe to G-Man Boxing. Great channel. So head on over there and click that red button. G-Man Boxing on YouTube. Filip Hergovic returns to action this weekend on a Sauerland card in Denmark. And Hergovic obviously is co-promoted by Sauerland, along with Eddie Hearn. And he's fighting this man, Alexander Kartosia. He is a Georgian heavyweight based in Greece. 39 years of age. He's got a record of 8-1-1 one, one, with 7 KOs. And his one loss was by knockout. Now, originally, Hergovic was supposed to be fighting Andre Parler. Some of you may recognize that name. He fought the likes of Derek Chisora and David Price back in the days. Now, on paper, Parler has a much better record than this Cartosia guy. And he's actually younger, despite the fact that he's more experienced. But bizarrely, for some reason, Parler hasn't fought since the David Price fight back in 2014. And I swear he dropped David Price in that fight, didn't he? It might not have been a clean punch. It might have been like a clothesline or something. <laughs> but David Price, I think it was that fight where he went down before getting off the floor to stop Parler in free. So yeah, Parler on paper, the you know long hiatus notwithstanding. And by the way, I'm not sure why he decided to walk away from boxing or why he hasn't had any fights since 2014, given the fact that he's still relatively young. I mean, now I think he's about 36, 37. At the time when he walked away from boxing, he might have only been 30. Or I say walked away. The, the last time he had a fight, he might have been 30 years old. So not sure if he's got, you know, another job outside of boxing, which pays better or business interests, or there's some other reason that uh, he hasn't fought in so long. Who knows? But that would be obviously not ideal when you're facing Philip Hergovic. And from a fan perspective, a guy who's coming off a six-year layoff, again, not ideal going in against Philip Hergovic. <laughs> You're not expecting it to last long, really. But how long are we expecting Alexander Kartosia to last? He's talking tough, apparently, saying that 
he can't be underestimated and Hergovic has never fought anybody with his type of power. Um, I've never seen this gentleman box, but I think that that's hype talk. And if he really believes what he's saying, I think he's in for a rude awakening. So if we look at his record here, he's fought absolutely nobody. I mean, literally nobody. In his last fight, he fought a guy that was 2-14. and 14. Before that, he fought somebody on their debut. Before that, he had a draw with someone who was 2-3-1. Then he lost, get this people, he lost, he was stopped by Ricardo Schneiders. Ricardo Schneiders is the guy who Daniel Dubois just blew out in two rounds. The cruiserweight. Cartosia got stopped by Schneiders two years ago in eight rounds. So, you know, this is the kind of level this guy's at. Now look, it's obviously a very difficult situation at the moment in terms of boxing and I guess the rest of the economy. Let's be real. Very difficult situation. And because of all the restrictions in place all over the world, it's even more difficult than it would normally be to secure Philip Hergovich, a decent opponent. And this is a last minute replacement because again, it was supposed to be Andre Parla. A last minute replacement is Cartosia. So I get all that. But after this, Sauerland and Eddie Hearn really need to get their heads together and come up with a meaningful fight for Philip Hergovich, either later on this year or early in 2021. Because this is a guy who had an extensive amateur background. This is a guy who fought in the World Series of Boxing. And this will be his 11th fight. He's being moved, not extremely slow, but not as fast as some of his contemporaries. For example, Joe Joyce is being moved a lot faster than Philip Hergovich. Joe Joyce has signed to fight Daniel Dubois. Is Hergovic in any kind of fight like that? Joe Joyce has already fought the likes of Brian Jennings and former world heavyweight champion Berman Stavern. So, you know, I think they really need to step it up with Hergovic a little bit. He has plenty of experience, not only amateurs, as I say, also in the world's, world's, excuse, uh, world series of boxing. Struggling to get my words out here. Experience in that as well, which is like, the World Series of Boxing is a very good halfway house between amateur boxing and pro boxing. So it's not as much of a shock to the system coming from the World Series of Boxing going into professional boxing. You see, because there's more rounds and there's no head guard. Well, to be fair, they don't really wear head guards in uh, open class senior bouts in the amateurs anyway uh, anymore. But even the gloves are different in the World Series of Boxing. They're more like professional gloves and all that kind of stuff. So it's just more of a professional setup. So it's a good halfway house between the two. Hergovic has got that under his belt. So yeah, they need to get a move on with him. I mean, there's no rush, obviously. You know, he's still only 28. But it's important that he doesn't stagnate. It's important that he doesn't get left behind, as I say, the rest of his contemporaries. Because, you know, still young at 28. But that's no spring chicken either. Remember it. At 28, wasn't Anthony Joshua already challenging for world titles? I think he was. And look, everybody has to walk their own path. People can't become world champions or challenge for world titles at the same age. I mean, look at Mike Tyson, right? Look at Floyd Patterson. Look at Muhammad Ali. They all challenged for world titles and won world titles in their early 20s. You don't really see that happening in heavyweight boxing much these days. Uh, so, you know, everyone's got their own path. But nonetheless, I personally feel like they need to step it up now a little bit with Hergovic 
The Molina fight, I mean, Molina has been in there with some good people, but really and truly, he doesn't have much stomach for battle and never really has had. Other than the Wilder fight, you've never really seen Molina with that much stomach for battle. And when I say stomach, I'm using the word meta metaphorically, <laughs> right? figuratively, because physically, Molina's got plenty of stomach. <laughs> Uh, who else has he fought here? Mario Harida, Gregory Corbin, you know, Kevin Johnson, I mean, so, so, yeah, not not great for Philip Hergovich. Needs to be stepped up. This guy, where are we at? Yeah, this guy, Cartosia, I haven't watched him fight, but based upon the people he has fought and lost to, like Schneider's, the age of him, the size of him, I can only imagine this is going to end pretty quick. <laughs> That's the, and it's going to be very one-sided I can only imagine that so let me know what you guys think in the comment section below what do you think would be a sensible step up for Philip Hergovich next that's the question I really want to ask you guys I'm thinking maybe somebody like uh, the guy who uh, Rice the guy who a Jagba just fought Rice I think that Rice guy is awkward he's tricky He's difficult to pin down. He's going to offer up some resistance. If they can get him for Hergovic next, I think that's a good way to go. Now, some people want to match Hergovic with, you know, legit contenders. They want to put him in there with Joyce next. They want to put him in there with Bacoli. They want to put him in there with uh, Daniel Dubois. And I'm up for that too. You know, Hergovic has definitely got enough experience in World Series of Boxing and Amateur Boxing and so far as a pro to be put in those kind of fights right there. As I say, if Joe Joyce is fighting Dubois, there's no reason why Hergovic can't be in them kind of fights right now. So I'm up for that too. It all depends on how quickly they want to move him. Maybe they think those guys have been moved too quickly. Maybe they want to move Hergovic in a more traditional way, you know, at a more traditional speed. So for example, Lennox Lewis, I think he won the European title in his 14th fight. And after winning the European title, he then fought Gary Mason. And Gary Mason at the time was a top 10 heavyweight, undefeated 35-0. So that was a real good, you know, scalp for Lennox Lewis at the time. I think that was for the British title. Uh, but yeah, he was British and European champion within, I think, 15 fights. So Hergovic fighting for the European title. Okay, I, I'm not sure how much importance some of these fighters put on the European title these days. I mean, if you look at a lot of these Hergovic fights, there's the international WBC heavyweight title on the line, which I guess Hergovic still holds, although it's not on the line for this fight. There's nothing about it on BoxRec. And sometimes fighters feel like having these secondary belts from one of the sanctioning bodies is better than fighting for the European title because this will achieve them a better rank, you know, a higher rank uh, defending belts like this. So the point I'm making is fighters on that type of level, the European title level, Hergovic should at least be looking to target those guys. And obviously, you know, the likes of Cartosia are way below that. And even Parla, way below that. So as difficult as the situation is, Hearn and Sauerland should be able to get their heads together and come up with something decent for Philip Hergovic. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Is having them out. If you live in the Sheffield area and you need a kitchen fitted, make sure you check out JW Interiors. My friend James 
has been in the industry for many, many years. He is the Vassal Lomachenko of Kitchen Fitters, and he's a real good, solid Yorkshireman to boot. So check him out at JW Interiors. I'll leave links in the description below to his Facebook page, to his website, and you can find all the contact details there. So check him out, JW Interiors. Jaime Munguia returns to action on October 30th. It'll be shown live and exclusive on the zone against Terreno Johnson. This will be Munguia's first fight, actually his second fight this year, excuse me, because he beat Gary O'Sullivan in January. So he is one of those fortunate fighters that actually gets to fight more than once or, you know, some fighters haven't fought at all in 2020. So a good situation there for Jaime Munguia. Now his opponent, Terreno Johnson, is a middleweight vet. He's from Nassau, Bahamas. Shout out to the 242. Well, mother's sick and all that good stuff. <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh, anyway, he's a vet from Nassau, Bahamas. He is coming off a win over Jason Quigley. And Jason Quigley was quite a prospect himself from Ireland. He's been in the ring with uh, Sergei Derevanchenko, who's obviously a top-level middleweight right now. He lost earlier on in his career back in 2014 to Curtis Stevens. To be fair, I think Terreno Johnson has improved a lot since that Stevens loss. But as I say, he's 36 years old. He's a vet. How much resistance can he really put up against Jaime Munguia? You know, one of the things that has always impressed me against Jaime Munguia, just 23 years of age now, is his incredible energy levels. Now, people often don't talk about the energy levels of certain fighters as being an asset. But it really is for some guys. Like Manny Pacquiao, when he was in his prime, had insane energy levels, just way above most top-level fighters. And Jaime Munguia, he doesn't have the type of speed of Pacquiao, obviously, but in terms of energy, just the amount he's bouncing around the ring and the amount of punches he throws and he hardly ever seems to get tired, he's got that youthful exuberance about him, Jaime Munguia. Tremendous energy. He just throws and, and really cranks heavy power shots and never seems to stop. So that's always impressed me about him. I like his youthful enthusiasm. A young guy. He's very ambitious. He wants to fight the best. And on paper, at least, and if you look at their fights in the ring, Jaime Munguia should beat Torino Johnson. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout because Johnson is a hungry fighter, even at 36. He's still very ambitious, as I say, coming off a, a win over Torino Johnson. I didn't actually see that fight. And it doesn't give much details here in terms of how the fight ended. It says, Quigley cannot continue after round nine. Bout was stopped. California rules KO. So was it an injury for Jason Quigley? Was he winning the fight? Was he losing the fight? I don't know. Because as I say, Jason Quigley is quite highly regarded and he was unbeaten at the time. And that was, uh, you know, last year in uh, July. So yeah, Torino Johnson on a, I guess, good run of form at the moment. He was stopped by Derevanchenko in 2017. 2018, he took that off, but he had two fights last year, a split decision draw over eight. I mean, that's not great form, to be honest, but then the Jason Quigley fight. So yeah, let's see what kind of resistance he can put up against Jaime Munguia. It's happening, as I say, October 30th, live and exclusive on zone. And a question I got for you guys is, what kind of impact do you think Jaime Munguia can make at middleweight? Canelo it would seem, especially given his issues with his promoter and his broadcaster right now, 
he's probably never going to return to middleweight because the older he gets, the more difficult it's going to be for him to come back down to 160. So he's probably going to be 168 and above for the rest of his time in boxing. And that leaves a vacuum to some degree for some, some other superstar to come in and fill that void. Now we've still got the likes of Derevinchenko, there's still Golovkin, but I mean, Golovkin looks like he's coming to the end of his career, doesn't he? Especially after that Derevinchenko fight. So what young fighter can take the mantle as being the number one middleweight? Of course, you've got Jamal Charlo and he's in action this weekend. I'm going to talk about that in a different video. But Jaime Mungi is surely one of the candidates to potentially become the number one fighter at 160 pounds. I mean, I would love to see Jaime Munguia against Jamal Charlo. I would love to see Jaime Munguia against Golovkin. And interestingly, they were actually looking to match Munguia against Golovkin a couple years ago. But maybe it was too soon for him then. I think the broadcaster or whoever it was didn't like the fight. But be that as it may, I'd love to see Jaime Munguia against, uh, as I say, Charlo. I'd like, still like to see him against Golovkin. I like to see him against Derevchenko and several others. How far do you think Mungia can go? Can he establish himself as the best at 160? Can he beat those guys? Uh, are people maybe underestimating him a little bit? Because people haven't been impressed with some of his performances. So he stopped Gary O'Sullivan in 11 rounds. This is the same Gary O'Sullivan who got blown out in one round by David Lemieux. Right? He had this fight a majority decision win over Dennis Hogan. Now, this is this was at 154, and this is partly the reason that he moved up to 160. But the Dennis Hogan fight, a lot of people feel like he was fortunate to get the decision there. There were many people who felt like he actually lost to Dennis Hogan. I remember when he fought this guy, Inoue. I mean, he was the most muscular Japanese <laughs> boxer I think I've ever seen. And was really very, very crude in Uwe. I mean, he might be a tough guy and, and awkward and difficult to deal with, but he was extremely crude. One of the crudest boxers I've seen at championship level in a long time, <laughs> Inoue. I mean, he made Deontay Wilder look sophisticated in the ring. And that's how crude Inoue was. I mean, he looked like someone who was a street fighter that they just dragged off uh, or, you know, dragged into the boxing ring. Uh, went the distance with Liam Smith. Again, this was somebody Canelo stopped. Burst onto the scene at world level, of course, when he won his world title against Saddam Ali. Saddam Ali was never really a 154 pounder. He did beat Miguel Cotto, obviously, who was a smaller guy moving up as well. He was never really a 154 pounder. And he was always vulnerable in terms of punch resistance. So look, on paper, Munguia doesn't have an amazing record, but... I don't know. I, I like him. I like his style. I like his enthusiasm. He's often in exciting fights. He's still developing. I mean, if you went back and looked at Canelo's early career, like when he fought on the uh, Mayweather-Mosley undercard against Miguel Cotto's brother, Canelo got badly hurt in that fight. I mean, when I saw Canelo there and I was hearing all this stuff about him being this great prospect and the future of boxing, I was very skeptical. When I saw him on that, Mayweather Mosley undercard because he didn't look great against Miguel Cotto's brother at all. To me, he looked very slow. Uh, it was worrying that he was being hurt by someone like that. And yeah, it, it just wasn't very impressive. So a guy like Munguia, 
it could be a similar situation where we have to wait a few years before he really blossoms into, you know, a, a real top level elite fighter. So with that being said, is it too early to be putting Mungia in against the fighters I've already talked about in this video? You know, the Charlos and the uh, Derevanchenkos, the Golovkins. I personally think that out of all those guys, let's say six months from now, maybe a year, Golovkin is the guy they should be targeting for Mungia because he's coming to the end, you know, in boxing, timing is everything. He's coming to the end. And I do think that Golovkin might struggle with Mungia's youth, his enthusiasm, his work rate. He certainly struggled with Derevanchenko's work rate. Now, Derevanchenko is a more technical fighter than Mungia, you know, he, and he's short so he can get underneath punches and he was hurting Golovkin to the body. So I know the styles are different. Mungia's a much bigger target and probably not as, I mean, not like Derevanchenko's got an amazing defense, but he might have a better defense than Mungia. Still, I think that's the way to go for him. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Do you agree that they should maybe target Golovkin in six months or a year? Uh, or maybe you think he should go in a different direction. Let me know, people. And also let me know about how you think the fight is going to go against Torino Johnson. Is this just cannon fodder for Mungia or can Johnson give him more problems than you know most people are expecting, especially given the fact that last year, Mungia was struggling with a guy like Dennis Hogan, no disrespect to Dennis Hogan, but struggling with a guy like that, is it inconceivable that he could also struggle with Torino Johnson? Let me know, people. It's happening. I'm out. Subscribe to G-Man Boxing. Great channel. So head on over there and click that red button. G-Man Boxing on YouTube. Subscribe to G-Man Boxing. Great channel. So head on over there and click that red button. G-Man Boxing on YouTube. Josh Taylor returns to action this weekend after nearly a year out of the ring against unbeaten Thai uh, fighter, Apinan Kongsong. <laughs> I probably butchered that name. Now, we all know Josh Taylor, obviously. Uh, you know, he's had a very, very good career so far. Just 16-0, but unified 140-pound uh, champion. Super lightweight, they call it nowadays, rather than light welterweight, which is what I just reflexively end up calling it. But in his last fight, of course, he fought Regis Progray. Great match. Won a majority decision over 12. Uh, before that, he fought Baranchek. That was a real good fight in the, uh, well, all these fights were in the World uh, Boxing Super Series. Uh, Ram Martin, Victor Postal was a real good win earlier on in his career. Miguel Vasquez, of course, he stopped him. You know, Winston Campos, Ahara Davis famously in that domestic grudge match. So he's had a real eventful career for his first 16 fights, Josh Taylor. We all know him, but... I, I can't speak for you guys, I certainly don't know his opponent. And this fight will be taking place, by the way, at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, which is a very famous boxing venue in the UK. It's, uh, it's a small venue, but very, very famous. So if we head on over to his box rec page, a Pinon Kongsong, a Thai fighter, 24 years of age. He's like Josh Taylor had, uh, well, actually, it says here he's had 16 bouts. But here, it says 17. Or oh, maybe that's including the Taylor fight. Yeah, it probably is, which hasn't taken place yet. But 16 bouts so far. 5'10", so he's fairly tall for the weight, like Josh Taylor, who's around the same. 24 years of age, so he's the younger man from Thailand. 
And looking at his record, I mean, he's fought nobody I recognize. Yeah. But one thing I can tell you about Thai boxers uh, is a lot of them are very, very tough. A lot of them come from the Muay Thai background and they're kicking and punching and getting involved in all kind of brutal scraps from when they're little kids, a lot of these guys. So over the years, I have seen some very, very tough <laughs> and ferocious because that's one of the the hallmarks of a lot of the Thai boxers that I've seen over the years is a lot of them are really ferocious in the ring, hard punches and aggressive and all that kind of stuff. And again, that kind of comes from that spirit of uh, Muay Thai boxing. So never seen the guy fight before. An unknown quantity. If any of you have seen him, then please let me know what you thought about him in the comments. In his last fight, which was in Thailand in 2019, he fought somebody that was 9 and 11. Nine wins, 11 losses. I mean, that's not particularly encouraging, is it? Prior to that, he fought somebody who was 31 and 7. I mean, that's a bit better in terms of the on-paper record. But as you see, the opponents here, I mean, they look shocking. For a guy who's about to step in there and challenge for the unified uh, super lightweight title, he doesn't look particularly qualified, you know, when you look for his resume. So will he be a walkover job for Josh Taylor? Will it be a, a easy work, a walk in the park? Will it be like taking candy from a baby? Or will he be one of these dark horses? And you do get them that come from this particular part of the world, you know, Thailand, Philippines, Manny Pacquiao, of course, famously. He wasn't some heralded amateur star who was tipped for success in the pros. No, he came out of obscurity. And there have been many other fighters from that part of Asia who have also just come out of obscurity and turned out to be revelations and turned out to be really good fighters. Will he also be one of them? Have any of you seen him? I'm now, I should have done this before. I apologize. I'm now going to go and YouTube this guy to see if I can find any footage and see whether he is a dark horse. But certainly on paper, it looks like a fairly easy win, a straightforward job for Josh Taylor to retain his titles. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Again, this weekend, there are several fights and it's great, crowd or no crowd, to have boxing back for us YouTubers who talk about boxing and just the general public who are boxing fans for some entertainment. You know, it's obviously disappointing that we can't be there. You know, those people who like to attend boxing matches, but hey, it's better than nothing. At least it's going to be shown on television. And by the way, let's have a look at the event. Okay, it is on BT Sport, yeah. And Frank Warren is helping uh, top rank do this fight. Uh, Josh Taylor, by the way, is not a Frank Warren fighter. Uh, he is a Bob Arum fighter who doesn't have any kind of contract with Frank Warren. But given the relationship between top rank and Frank Warren, obviously it makes sense, Frank Warren being, being a British-based promoter, that he helps put the show on uh, in the UK. And on the undercard, you've got Charlie Edwards fighting Kyle Williams, uh, David Joyce fighting this guy who I don't know. Okay, not much of an undercard to be fair. <laughs> but at least we've got Josh Taylor top of the bill. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Is that what I'm out?
If you live in the Sheffield area and you need a kitchen fitted, make sure you check out JW Interiors. My friend James has been in the industry for many, many years. He is the Vassal Lomachenko of kitchen fitters and he's a real good solid Yorkshireman to boot. So check him out at JW Interiors. I'll leave links in the description below to his Facebook page, to his website, and you can find all the contact details there. So check him out, JW Interiors. If you live in the Sheffield area and you need a kitchen fitted, make sure you check out JW Interiors. My friend James has been in the industry for many, many years. He is the Vassal Lomachenko of kitchen fitters, and he's a real good solid Yorkshireman to boot. So check him out at JW Interiors. I'll leave links in the description below to his Facebook page, to his website, and you can find all the contact details there. So check him out, JW Interiors. Okay, great card happening this weekend in Uncasville, Connecticut in the USA. Headlined by Jamal Charlo against Sergei Derevanchenko. And that is for the World WBC middleweight title. I guess the co-feature, if you don't want to call it the undercard, is Jamal Charlo's brother Jamel taking on Jason Rosario. And that is a, a 154 super welterweight unification. Another great fight. You've also got Daniel Roman taking on Juan Payano. You've got Figueroa taking on Damian Vasquez. And that's another world title fight. You've got Luis Neri taking on Almeida. You've got uh, Casemiro taking on Micah. I've never seen Micah, but I have seen Casemiro several times. And then finally, you've got, well, this guy whose name I won't try to pronounce against Manny Woods. So it's a real good card. It's pay-per-view. You've got the Charlo brothers top of the bill. And I'm going to do a separate video for Jamel versus Rosario. In this video, I'm going to concentrate on Jamal versus Derevanchenko. Now, the Charlo twins are, let's just say, an acquired taste, if I'm going to be diplomatic, as characters. They're an acquired taste. Personally, they're not for me as characters. I don't find them particularly interesting or entertaining outside the ring. But inside the ring, they're very good fighters. But this right here, at least on paper, looks like being the toughest test of Jamal Charlo's career so far. Sergei Derevanchenko has been rising through the ranks and then he really came onto the scene when he fought Danny Jacobs. When was that? Back in 2018. That's when he really came onto the scene. And, you know, he held his own very well in that fight. Lost the split decision. He then went on to lose, and I say lose in inverted commas, to Gennady Golovkin because, of course, most people feel like, or a very large percentage of people at least, feel like he beat Golovkin there. And his stock rose. So even though he's got two L's on his record after 15 fights, at least one of those L's was very contentious against Golovkin. And that really did more for him, the Golovkin fight, than any other fight he's had so far. You know, that, that, that supposed loss has risen his stock and his reputation in the middleweight division more than any of the other uh, fights he's had or any of the official wins he's had. So as we all know, Dervinchenko's style is high energy, high work rate. 
He's a relatively short middleweight at 5'9", if that's his even, if that's even his real height. A very short reach, according to box record, 67 and a half inches. I mean, that's extremely short. He comes in low. He's got very good head movement. He goes to your body. It was hurting Golovkin with, you know, regularity with body shots. Let's be real. He's technically pretty good. You know, throws a nice jab, mixes it up upstairs and downstairs. And he can be difficult to pin down because he's, his movement is so frenetic. His not only upper body movement, but his foot movement. It can be difficult to pin the guy down to get real solid headshots, you know, landed on him at times when he's on form. Now, Charlo is a much more, I want to say textbook and conventional fighter. You know, he doesn't have the frenetic movement of Derevchenko. Uh, he doesn't move his head as much as Derevchenko. He's a much taller guy at six foot. So it's a very interesting style matchup to see the, the taller Charlo, who probably hits harder, I would say, than Derevchenko. Derevchenko's got decent power. Right? Let's not underestimate his power at all. His power is decent, but I would say Charlo hits harder punch for punch. Um, one of the things about Jamal Charlo, and probably both the Charlo brothers, truth be told, is they like... They, they tend to like fighting aggressive guys, guys who come to them. When they have to go stalk a fighter who's boxing them, that's when they tend to struggle. So will Derevchenko's style actually play into Charlo's hands? Now, if we look at Charlo's record here, okay, he fought Dennis Hogan, stopped him in seven in his last fight. And how, Dennis Hogan's quite short as well, isn't he? Yeah, Dennis Hogan's 5'8". So that's a relatively short fighter as well. Um, but nowhere near the level, I would say, of Derevchenko. Okay, Matt Korobov was a very tough fight for Charlo. Many people feel like he actually lost the Matt Korobov fight. But again, Matt Korobov is nothing like Derevchenko. Matt Korobov is a southpaw and a slick boxer. And by the way, the judge who had it 119, 108 for Charlo. Good grief. <laughs> I mean, how can you sleep at night when you're giving scorecards like that in such a close competitive fight? I mean, that's, that's really shocking. Anyway, uh, Fort Highland, Julian Williams. So he does have some decent wins on his record over the years, uh, Jamal Charlo. And, he, and for the longest time, he was seen as the more talented of the two brothers and the bigger puncher of the two. And obviously now he's campaigning at 160 with his brother, Still trying to hold the fort at 154. So, yeah, really intriguing style matchup. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to sit on the fence for this fight because I just can't seem to envision how it's going to go down. If I was absolutely forced to pick between Charlo and Derevchenko, I might pick Charlo. But I'm in anticipating a very, very tough fight for Jamal Charlo. I'm anticipating a tough fight for both men. The one thing I will say is I, I think that Charlo probably takes a better shot than Derevchenko. Uh, he might be physically stronger. You know, Derevchenko hasn't got a glass jaw or anything like that, but he has been down a few times against good punches in Gennady Golovkin and Danny Jacobs. And, you know, Charlo... Does he hit as hard as those two guys, Golovkin and Jacobs? Remains to be seen. If anybody hits the canvas in this fight from a headshot, 
I have to imagine it's going to be Derevinchenko. I don't think it'll be Charlo. Uh, but Derevinchenko's movement, I could see that throwing Charlo off. I could see Charlo maybe struggling with Derevinchenko buzzing around like a, a wasp. <laughs> you know, stinging him here and there and going upstairs and downstairs and maybe mugging him a little bit. So, I don't know. It's, it's a really fascinating fight. And... Now, one thing I will say as well is that the, the politics of this fight favors Charlo. He's the star. It's him and his brother as a doubleheader pay-per-view. And because of those politics, yeah, if I was going to bet on it, I would go with Charlo to win. I'm not sure would I pick him on points. I think that's probably more likely than Charlo by knockout, given how experienced Derevanchenko was in the amateurs and the fighters he's been in with against as a pro, I'd probably say Charlo on points if you were a betting man would be the most likely outcome, I want to say. Because if Charlo is getting favoritism like he got in the Korobov fight, whereby 116, 112 twice and then 119, 108, when many neutral observers felt like he lost, if he's getting that kind of treatment, then surely there's a good chance he's going to get the same type of treatment against Derevanchenko in terms of favoritism from the officials. So will he win a legit, you know, will he score a legit victory over Derevanchenko? That I'm not sure of. But again, I'm thinking out loud here and on the fly. Yeah, if I was a better man, I'll go with Charlo on points. But, you know, it, it might be Derevanchenko who deserves the win rather than Charlo. We'll see. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. How do you think it's going to go? Maybe you have a much more clear uh, perception or, or view of how you think the fight is going to go. Because in terms of who really deserves to win, I'm not sure who's going to take it. But in terms of the judges and all that, I think probably Charlo. So let me know what you guys think. It's happening out. Subscribe to G-Man Boxing. Great channel. So head on over there and click that red button. G-Man Boxing on YouTube. I'm really excited to be back. I'm really excited to be getting back in between those ropes and putting on a show. It's been a long time coming. I've been out of the ring now for 12 months. So I'm really looking forward to showing everyone at home and proving to myself how much better of a fighter I am moving up to Bantamweight. I've got so much more energy in training. I'm hitting harder, my reactions are better and my brain's functioning a lot, a, a, a lot more now. And um, I'm really looking forward to using my experience with all the hard work and dedication that I've put in over the last 12 months and showing everyone how good I really am. Carl Williams is a great fighter. He's tough, he's game, he tries to be awkward and tricky. He's gonna come, he's gonna have a go. But my experience is gonna take over. My, the, my ring IQ, the level I've boxed at, is all going to come into fruition. I've trained super hard for this fight. I've dedicated myself. I've lived the life for the last year, really, recovering my body from being a flyweight. So I'm looking forward to being up at bantamweight, and I'm looking forward to being able to let them punches go with power.
this last year being out of the limelight, I've really been able to work on myself, my mental side of things, um, my, most of all my physical, my physical side of things because when I was down at Flyway I was just a casket of me if you like. Um, it wasn't really me and um, I was just focusing on the weight all the time where I might have missed strengths that I needed to work on, uh, sorry, missed weaknesses that I needed to work on to build them into strengths and I believe the last 12 months I've done that and um, listen, I could talk for a, a, a million days about what I've done in this last 12, 12 months to 18 months but the only way it's going to show is on fight night and I'm looking forward to on fight night putting on that show. Um, I'm really looking forward to the future, see what it holds because I'm sure Frank will put me and Sonny on the same card and um, it will be great and um, like our dream is to both win a world title on the same night so if that can be made possible it's going to be a dream come true.